All right, well, good morning. It's great to be with y'all. I am Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and we just get to continue to walk through this uh, incredible Sermon on the Mount. And I'm always just so thankful for, although I've had this my whole life, that we don't have to wonder what Jesus says. We don't have to be like, man, I wonder what he thought or what he was thinking, that we get to go to God's word and we get to see what Jesus has uh, to say to us. And I, I think that's even so helpful, often e- even in a culture, even whether it's a church culture or the culture at large, that can talk a lot about Jesus, uh, but lack the substance of where we get any knowledge we have about Jesus, which is uh, God's word. Like we would know nothing, we wouldn't even know the name Jesus if it wasn't for God's word. And we have it. And so we get to go to his word and see uh, what he asked for us. And so, um, when we were in the, if you're a guest with us, we've been walking through this sermon for, I don't even know, a while. Uh, and um, when we were in the Beatitudes, we talked about it uh, as if it was kind of a mountain. And so at the beginning of chapter five, Jesus goes through uh, his famous Beatitudes. And we talked about how, as we looked at them as a mountain, we would kind of scale up the mountain and the summit of the mountain was, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And then we would come down the mountain with the the excuse me, the rest of the Beatitudes. Uh, And if we were going to look at the Sermon on the Mount the whole way, so if you're a guest and you're just here to see a baby get dedicated, you're here for like the peak of this sermon that Jesus is teaching because we're at the summit of the whole sermon. That Matthew 6 is the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And then the Lord's Prayer is the center of the center of the sermon. And so that we get to come to the summit here, We get to hang out with Jesus on top of this mountain. Uh, We get to check out the views with him. And what he's going to do is he's going to teach us to pray. That that this isn't just something like a a poetic thing that we recite, although it's a good uh, passage to commit to memory. But Jesus is instructing every one of us, all that would listen, uh, what it means to pray. And so... Uh, I'm really encouraged about that. And it's very timely for us, even as a church, as the elders have prayed and considered what we would hope God to do in our midst. Uh, one of the things we hope for is that we would be a praying church. Like one of the things we want to pray for is that we would be a praying church. It sounds a little redundant, uh, but it's, uh, it's what we hope for. And so now, in this moment, over the next few weeks, because uh, we're actually going to slow down a bit like we did in the Beatitudes and, and take some time in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so we get to sit at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, would you, would you make us a praying church? Would you, would you teach us to pray? Um, and so we'll, we're actually just going to look at verse 9 today. Um, and so if you can remember, uh, if you were with us last week, Jesus exposes hypocritical prayer, calls us out of that Uh, calls us out of being about ourselves or looking to impress other people or even looking to impress God in our prayers. He's saying that's not how we pray. Uh, That's not what uh, I have for you. Um, And then with more words and all the positive examples he gives in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, hey, don't do this, do this. Prayer is is the uh, most elaborate positive example. He's saying don't be a hypocrite in your prayer. Instead, he speaks, take some time, And some thoughtfulness to say, simply, verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we're going to look at 
each of these words that Jesus, is, Jesus uses really briefly, and then we're just gonna consider how they should, how they might, how Jesus might want to use them to impact our prayer lives. Um, and obviously he starts with these two words, just simply, our Father. It's something that we say pretty flippantly maybe, but it's incredible. It's incredible. One, Jesus could accurately say my father, but he, he doesn't just say my father. He says our father. He invites us into his reality, that, that this is Jesus' father, and that anybody would call upon the name of Jesus to be saved gets to say with Jesus, my father. He is our father together. The God that is right now in heaven and sovereign over the universe that is all powerful, that is all good, that is never changing in all of his perfect attributes, this God, the one that spoke the universe into existence, the one that parted the Red Sea, the one that led Israel to victory over victory in the Old Testament, the one who sent the Son uh, to live and die and rise to claim ultimate victory for us, that God is our Father. That's incredible. That's uh, incredible that we get to say our Father. And it's common to, to think about the earthly examples here, and, and the reality is none of us have a perfect earthly example. My kids sure don't. But what I pray and what I truly hope is that even my imperfections, although I'm not excited about them, I don't want to uh, excuse them, but the ones that are present, I hope and pray that my kids would use those moments even as a moment to cry out to their perfect heavenly father. Uh, and that you can do that. You don't, we, don't, we don't have to use an excuse of a poor earthly father to ignore uh, crying out to and clinging to our, our perfect heavenly father who is there for us. And when we do this, we're praying to our father who is, that second line there, in heaven. So, so why is this important? Um, really, if God is confined to earth or this galaxy or this dimension or in whatever way, mysterious way, heaven and earth exist even now, if God is confined like we're confined uh, to this earth, uh, then and the rules and all that regulates it, then, then we're in trouble. Um, but it's important for us to realize it's, it's teaching us something, that we're not crying out to a God that's confined to earth. We're crying out to a God that literally reigns and rules right now in heaven. Uh, that, that he has a power that is beyond our belief. Like we can't concept, we can't conceive the limitless, the boundless reality of our God. We can't even understand his beginning, much less his end. He has a power unlike any power we can ever know. And, and this is the God, our Father who in heaven, that, that there's this powerfulness, there's this mightiness, there's this glory that's attached to this intimacy of our Father. So it's not just this powerful being that's separate, but it's the most powerful being in creation, in, in, in the world. And it's just the most powerful being we can even uh, imagine. And, and, and he's not just abstract or removed, but he is as intimate as our Father. Those are, those are the realities that Jesus is wanting us to see. And Jesus tells us the first thing we should ask for as we come to our Father who is in heaven is hallowed be your name. And so as we think about God's name, that, that even phrase that your name, 
It, it can be, I remember even as a kid, like thinking, like, why do we talk about God's name? Why don't we just talk about him? But when, we, when you see that phrase in the Bible, God's name, it's just referring to everything that is true about God, who he is and what he has done. The, the Jewish people had a great reverence for God and his name. So much so that they would not even say his actual name, but they would just say the name. That's how they would refer to God. And what Jesus is saying when he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's referring to all that God is and he does. Everything I mentioned earlier about our Father, everything that can be known, everything that can't be known but is true about God, this is all that it is meant in these two little words, your name. And Jesus is obviously praying that hallowed be your name. So hallowed is not a word we typically go around using very much, um, but it just simply means what you probably know it to mean, to be made holy, to be honored as holy, to be revered as holy, to be set apart as holy. These are all uh, what this is saying, which is simply that God's name is holy, and because of that, we should pray for it to be treated as it is. This isn't God's holiness needing the support of our prayers so that he can remain holy. God doesn't need any of our prayers. This is God saying, I am holy. My name is holy. And the more you know this, the deeper in your soul that this drops, the more you live in light of this truth, the more your life will actually align with what reality actually is. That's what God is saying here. When we or anyone else live as if God's name isn't holy, we're living out of a lie. God's name is holy. And so in any moment, in any situation, when we're living in op opposition to that, we're living out of a lie. Uh, John Stott, he says it plainly this way. He says, the name of God is not simply a, combinations, a combination of the letters G, O, and D. The name stands for the one who bears it. So God's name is a summation of all that God is and does. His name is already holy and that it is separate from and exalted over every other name. But we pray that God's name might be hallowed, treated as holy by those who speak it. Our desire is that God's name and character might receive the honor it deserves. So a, a brief explanation of just the, these simple words, but then the question that should remain is how do we pray like this? Like, how do we really pray like this? Some of us may be even familiar with, you know, ACTS, which is a helpful acronym for prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But sometimes we use those even acronyms or tools and we do them half-heartedly or use them flippantly. And Jesus isn't talking about that. He's He's saying, man, how, how do we pray like this? How do we spend time lingering on the reality that God is holy and we want him to receive all the glory he is due from our hearts and from every heart? How do we pray like that? If I'm honest, I, I was just really convicted this week over this reality. So I'm dwelling on this. I was thinking how often so many of my prayers are full of, they just start with, God, would you do this? Would you move in this way? Would you help? Would you, I need this. Would you help me in this? Like that's so much of my prayers. And we'll get to that. Those aren't bad prayers in and of themselves. But Jesus is rebuking me. 
He's saying, hey, Jake, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a correction. It was a correction to me. Perhaps it's a correction uh, that you need as well. How can our prayers be more about God's glory than anything else? Not that we don't pray other prayers, but that they're more about God's glory. There's obviously a logic to the order here, just like the Beatitudes. And even just the emphasis, if you just think of the Lord's Prayer, even this verse and the next verse are really half of the prayer, and they just all deal with God. Before we get to ourselves, before we get to praying for other people, it is just about God. And so there's even an emphasis about uh, the, the time we should take in our prayers considering God's glory. So how can our prayers be more about God's glory than anything else? Two, two ways. One, we can recognize that God is about his glory, that we have a God that is about his own glory. And then two, recognize that life provides opportunities to honor God's name as holy. And so recognizing God is about his glory. There, there's, you're probably not going to find a pastor who does this better than John Piper. And so I just stole a lot from a blog he wrote in 2007 that I'm going to share with you. Um, and we'll just borrow from his hard work where he combed the scriptures and, and just um, outlines how God is about his own glory. And I just want you to feel the thrust of the, these scriptures. Like what, what God is saying through his word about who he is and about what he is about and how that should impact what we are about. I think a, a, this will be on the screen for you. And I'm, this is just 12 examples cut down from many more. You're, you're welcome. Uh, but we've got 12 we're going to go through. So just let this uh, sink in. God chose his people for his glory. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. God created us for his glory. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Jesus warned that not seeking God's glory makes faith impossible. Listen to this from John 5. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus endured his final hours of suffering for God's glory. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God forgives our sins for his own sake. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Jesus receives us into his fellowship for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. God instructs us to do everything for his glory. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Herod is struck dead because he did not give glory to God. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God 
the glory. Even in the wrath of God's, even in wrath, God's aim is to make known the wealth of his glory. Desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, God has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. God's plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then the last one, well, second to last one. In the new Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the sun, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And then, as Piper goes on to say, he actually starts the blog this way. He says, probably no text in the Bible reveals the passion of God in his own glory more clearly and bluntly as Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, where God says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Do we see the point? Do we see that this is God's point? This is what God is saying about God. This is what is most true. God's name is holy. So again, when we live like it isn't, when anyone lives like it isn't, we are living a lie. And again, God doesn't need you to glorify his name. He wants you to glorify his name. He knows this is true. He knows this is what's real. And he desires what's best for you. And so he invites you into glorifying his name, magnifying his name with our lives, with our prayers, uh, with all that we have. God invites us into this. He doesn't need us for it. And Jesus is calling our prayers to reflect God's passion for the glory of his name. As you, as you even just consider maybe this last week or this last month or this last couple years, how much has God's glory and his desire for his glory impacted your prayer life? How present has it been? Again, this is the part that's been most convicting to me. Is God rebuking us together as a church to make his name and his glory uh, just more significant and more of a priority in our hearts and our lives and obviously in our prayers? This is what Jesus is calling us to here. And then as we just think about life, life provides countless opportunities for us to honor God's name as holy. Because again, we think about the last couple years of life, there are many situations where we pray and ask God for help, but we forsake praying, Father, in this situation, would you make your name holy? Like think about the, the constant things we're praying about or even experiencing. Maybe we're not even praying about it at all. So it's just some day-to-day -day kind of things that might happen that you might not think about it, but they're actually opportunities for you to pray for God to make his name holy. Maybe it's at work and you have a hard email you need to return. We all have those kinds of situations. We can grunt through it. We can maybe pray for help. But what if we prayed, God, would you make your name holy here in my response? Maybe it's a cultural issue that you're fearful or angry about. 
Have you prayed for God to make his name holy there? Maybe you're just in a disappointing season. It's a reality. Maybe it's a hard parenting struggle and you need help and you're pressed. Have you prayed for God to make his name holy? Or kids, maybe it's something your parent has asked you to do that you don't understand and you just refuse or disobey or just do it without understanding and think that is an opportunity for you to say, God, would you make your name holy even in this response? Maybe it's an acknowledging that you made a wrong decision or need to confess. Maybe it's a next step that is unclear. In any situation, when you're sick, God's holiness matters. In unmet desires, God's holiness matters. In any of these kinds of situations, God's holiness matters and should be sought and sought through prayer. These are all in moments where we can be tempted to defensiveness, to pride, to self-protection, and a host of other sins. But there are also moments where we can pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And look to step into these moments as one that is looking to revere God's name, to point to his name, to even in our hearts honor his name as holy. All of this, again, has to do with God in our prayers. Like even in these moments, we don't start with the moment, we start with God and who he is. That's what Jesus is correcting. It's like, yes, there's the circumstances, but God, here's God and who he is, how majestic and glorious he's more than you will ever need. And sometimes even in our own prayers, we magnify the circumstance and the situation and minimize how glorious, how beautiful our God is. And Jesus is saying, let's look back over here. Let's correct. Let's correct these Uh, tendencies in our heart. I thought about an extreme example. Like even if we were about to die and we needed to be rescued, needed to be helped, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for help, but what if we did die and what if we spent that last moment just considering God's holiness? Just acknowledging his holiness. Would that moment be wasted? And and the reality is that truth needs to permeate so many other situations that are not anywhere near life and death. God is holy, and this is good to dwell on. And so it would be uh, amiss if we didn't allow Jesus' instruction of how we should pray to take an opportunity to let it inform us even in this moment. And so we're just gonna take some time to pray. We're gonna take some time to, with yourself, silently, out loud, however you feel comfortable praying, you're welcome to do that. But I'm just gonna lead us through a moment where we can acknowledge God as holy, as other, as set apart, And so as you've heard this word from Jesus, as you've heard just this simple line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is the Spirit doing right now? What is the Spirit correcting? How is the Spirit encouraging you? 
Again, maybe this is something that is a significant part of your prayer life and something you can continue to enjoy. But either way, so maybe you need to start this prayer by confession. Maybe you just need to start this prayer, obviously, by acknowledging who God is. But let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's go to our God in prayer. Let's let Jesus' words correct our prayer. And I'll, along with Jesus, kind of give you some prompts to consider as we pray. So take a moment, even now, and just acknowledge God's holiness. Take a moment to confess any conviction and not honoring God's name as holy. Maybe the Spirit's leading you in repentance in this moment. Embrace that. Confess that. Pray for the knowledge of God's holiness to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But let's start with that happening in our own heart, this truth dropping deeper in our own heart, and then that it would drop deeper in the hearts of others. and however the Spirit's leading you, but let's one more layer to add. Just pray that God's holiness would impact more and more of our daily lives, situations we're actually facing and struggling with. pray for us. You can continue to pray as the Spirit leads you, as you feel led to pray. And then we'll sing a song and even during that song you can continue to pray. Uh, You can want to stand and sing that song as a prayer or if you want to continue to pray and however the Spirit's leading you, 
Just feel great freedom to continue to respond and consider God's holiness. And then after that song, I'll come back up and uh, set up communion. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are worthy. Above all, there is no one more worthy of glory and honor than you. Every good thing that can be said is infinitely true of you. Every character and attribute of yours is perfect. Father, you are so other. Surely, why the psalmist says, who is man that you are mindful of him? And Father, even now in this moment, as I pray to you in this way, I feel a conviction of the lack of it in my life. So Spirit, I thank you for that conviction. You're growing me, you're shaping me, you're you have good for me to see the Father, Son, and Spirit and your splendor and your glory, and that there's there's so much more honor due you than is pouring forth from my lips and my life and my heart. And so would you help, would you correct, would you grow, would you deepen this truth? not just in this moment, but when I'm alone in my office, when I'm with my kids, when I'm with my wife, when I'm wherever, in good times and bad times, would you deepen this truth that it's what permeates from me? Not because I am anything, but because you are everything. And Holy Spirit, as you've led us to desire to be a praying church, led us to desire being a church that that seeks you consistently and fervently Um, would you teach us many of us have been praying for many years but we need so desperately to be taught so would you help us get over ourselves and our preconceived ideas would you help us lay all of that down and hear Jesus words especially in this moment to Be enamored and blown away with your holiness and your glory. And would we be content with nothing else? If that falls flat on our hearts, if that is dry from our lips, would we continue to seek you and desire for it to be what you want it to be? Real and rich and deep and true. Help us. Help us even now as we respond to your glory and your holiness. For your name's sake, amen.